as I said, differently tonight. And so you're looking at the front cover of this, and this is the title of this lesson tonight. Praise God. If you don't mind, that will help me. Um, I appreciate that very, very much. Now, we will use as a scripture text tonight, uh, and it's, it's not going to appear anywhere on the wall, but um, it's uh, every scripture that we use is going to be either printed in the study that you've been handed, or we're going to read it to you, and you'll take the study home because it's listed there. We do this because we want you to go home and read it in your Bible and see that we're not making things up, we're not taking things out of context, but we're telling you exactly what the Word of the Lord says. And so before we get started tonight, uh, we'll go ahead and read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. In fact, I'll read that. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen. And I still believe the light of God is marvelous. I still believe it's marvelous. Praise God. It is something to be marveled at. Why don't we pray right now before you're seated? And I want to ask you to pray a special prayer. I would ask that you would help God, or that you would ask God to help you to open your hearts and your minds and your understanding, and that He would do that for each and every individual under the sound of my voice, whether they are here in person listening online or will listen at a future date. Would you pray that God would grant understanding through the pages of His Word tonight? Let's pray together, everyone. Lord Jesus. Now in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise God. All right, you may be seated. Let's move on to the next slide. And the um, Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. The entrance of thy words give us light. All right, next. In preparation, you see this on page three of your study, the following Bible study was prepared to explain the plan of salvation in a simple one-lesson condensed form with a teacher to guide discussion or by self-study. If desired, it can be divided into two parts by taking a short break between each of two 30-minute sessions. A recommended place for a break is after the section into the Gospels. We're not going to do that tonight. That way, we're going to try to just get through this. Praise God. Each participating student should have a copy of the study along with a Bible, preferably the King James Version. And there are Bibles in the back of your pews. 
and a pen or a pencil. Each, as each scripture is read, the student is asked to become involved, sometimes by completing a fill-in-the-blank or responding to a question. Additional comments and supplementary scripture references designated throughout the text by small numerals in parentheses are provided on page 14 for further in-depth study later time, and I'll show you what they're talking about in just a moment when we get to page 4. May we also suggest that all participants take a moment to ask the Lord's help in understanding His Word as King David once did when he prayed, Open thou mine eyes that I may understand wondrous things out of thy law. May God bless you as we travel together into His marvelous light. And we've already read the scripture at the bottom of this page, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You should show forth the praises of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Let's move on now to page 4 and the introduction. You know, when you walk out of a dark room, you come into the sunshine, light can be blinding. In fact, if you've been in darkness that is severe enough, then it can be extremely painful to step into bright light. But as your eyes grow accustomed to the light, then all of a sudden the pain subsides and you recognize and realize that you can see more clearly and that you can actually enjoy the scenery that surrounds us. I heard someone just the other day talking about making a trip to Colorado and getting there late at night and not really being all that impressed when they got there that night until they woke up the next morning and looked out their window. As you know, the darkness hides the beauty. It hides the grandeur. It hides the splendor that is all around. The same thing happens in our lives. We don't realize it, but we are born into a state of darkness. We're born into a state of darkness. It envelops us spiritually. But it is God's Word, as we've read to you, that brings light to us. Now, the reason that we've given you this scenario and this analogy of leaving a dark room and walking into light, how painful it can be, and yet the benefits if you can continue to walk is because as we look into the light of the scriptures, the painfulness, or I'm sorry, the brightness of truth can sometimes be painful to us. But as our spiritual eyesight becomes adjusted, then we start to enjoy walking in the light. And that's what this Bible study is all about. It's all about allowing us to walk in the marvelous light of the Word of God. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a journey into the Scripture by imagining that we are back in the days of Jesus and His apostles, listening to them teach, hearing them preach as they explain the plan of salvation. Now, to do this, we've got to be able to obey 2 Timothy 2.15. Listen to what 2 Timothy 2.15 says. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
rightly dividing the word of truth. Listen to me. This is extremely crucial. There are churches on just about every street corner in America. There are so many churches, and so many of them teach different things. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? How do we know what is truth and what is error? Well, we've got to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. People sometimes take scriptures out of context. They twist the scriptures. They force the scriptures to mean what they want them to mean. And so we've got to learn how to rightly divide. And I've pointed out before that because the Apostle Paul used this term rightly dividing, it lets me know that people can wrongly divide the word of truth. We want to rightly divide it. And so one of the ways that we do this is by uh, looking at or highlighting the three main divisions of the New Testament as they appear in chronological order. These three divisions include, number one, the Gospels. Now, the Gospels cover the words and works of Jesus Christ. They all begin somewhere around the birth of Jesus, and they all end somewhere around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They cover those 30-plus years of His life on earth. They are what we could call the biography of Jesus Christ. These are the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's important to understand that while Jesus was on earth, there was not yet a church. He came to bring salvation. He came to found the church. But there was not a church. These books tell us what Jesus taught his disciples. They tell us what Jesus did, how he prayed. But we have to get into the second division, which is the Acts of the Apostles. It is one book. It is a book of history. This book covers the actions and the preaching of the apostles, the men who were handpicked by Jesus Christ. It is in this book that the church is founded. And it is this book that tells us exactly how to be saved. Now listen, we could not be saved until after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Does that make sense? That's what it took to bring our salvation. And so in order for us to find out how to be saved, we really need to start in the book of Acts after his death, burial, and resurrection. Now it's alluded to in the Gospels. It's hinted at in the Gospels. It's discussed somewhat in the Gospels. But it's fulfilled and we see it taking place in the book of Acts. And then the third division is what we call the epistles, which is just an old English word for letters. And that's what these books are, beginning with the book of Romans and going through the book of Jude or even really the book of Revelation. These are just books of letters that are written to individuals or churches, people that are already saved. Don't make the mistake of trying to go to the epistles to find out how to be saved. A lot of people do this. A lot of people want to take you to Romans chapter 10 and say that's where the plan of salvation is. I'm going to tell you to do that is to wrongly divide the scripture. Because the epistles were not written 
to people who were not saved. The epistles were written to people already saved. You didn't have to tell them how to be saved. They were already saved. So again, the only place we're going to find the clear definition of salvation is in the book of Acts. All right, page 5. Let us say also by way of introduction that we believe the scriptures are divinely inspired of God. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by by the Holy Ghost. All right, so there is no private interpretation. This is crucial. Because I've talked to people who say, well, you interpret it this way, and I interpret it that way. We've all got our own interpretation. But here the Scripture clearly says there is no private interpretation. I don't get my own interpretation of Scripture. You don't get your own interpretation of Scripture. We've got to find out God's interpretation. And we do that by searching the Scripture, letting Scripture interpret Scripture, finding other Scriptures to confirm what we're saying. We should never add to or take away from the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Ye shall not add unto the Word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And then Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He that shield, he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. So, first of all, verse 5 says that every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. We can't find a scripture that we don't like and say, well, that one's not true. The moment we find any scripture that's not true, that casts doubt on the entire Bible. Every word of God is pure. And then we are commanded, don't try to add to it. Don't try to take away from it. Just take the word of God as it's written. Praise God. Amen. We are not here tonight to try to convince you of our personal ideas or the creeds of some denomination. We only desire to share the truth as it's written. Only by claiming the Bible as our sole authority can any of us be confident of our salvation. For it's the Word of God and not the traditions of men that are going to judge us all in the end. We're going to be judged by the Word of God. Let us read now 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 15 and 16, and it has appeared on the wall. This is the one exception. He did put these verses on this page. So 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 and 16 says this. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All right, now stop right there. The scriptures can make you wise unto salvation. All right, read on. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture. I want to say all Scripture. All Scripture. All Scripture. There's no exceptions. Is given by inspiration of God. Read. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, 
For correction, for instruction in righteousness. Yes, all Scripture is profitable for us. Page 6. Page 6. Now let's begin our journey through the Gospels. We're going to do this. If you've got your Bible, you can open to the book of John, chapter 1. And we're going to do this in order. Everything comes in chronological order here. It's just a matter of turning a few pages in your Bible. Uh, once you find the book of John, you just start with chapter 1, and then it's just going to be turning a few pages. It's all going to be in order. Very simple to follow tonight. All right, so John chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse number 1 and read through verse 5 and then skip down to verse number 14. John 1, uh, 1 through 5, and then verse 14. Read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, so the first thing that we see, John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So that's the first blank. I don't know if you noticed it, it came in and filled in here on the wall. It's kind of small, kind of difficult to see, maybe a little bit larger behind me than what I'm looking at on the back wall, but still it may be difficult for you to see. Um, but the Word, that's, that's what goes in that first blank. The Word, which was in the beginning and was God, became flesh. Verse 14, read that for me again. And the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Uh-huh. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we recognize that Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. That's why we put so much faith in the Word of God. The Bible is simply the written picture of Jesus Christ. From cover to cover, right. it's Him. That's what this book is. All right, now let's, let's go to John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. Read. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to as them, many as received him, to them gave to he power. To them gave he power to become the to sons become of God. The sons of God. Even to them that believed on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so this second blank is God. If we believe in Him and receive Him, Jesus gives us power to become the sons of God. Did we finish through verse 13? All right. He gives us the power to become the sons of God by a supernatural birth. Now, we are going to talk more about this birth and find out more about this birth as Jesus starts talking to a ruler of the Jews one night. This is found in John chapter 3. All right, John chapter 3. So again, we're just turning a page or two in your Bible. If you're following along, we're in John chapter 3 now. John 3, verses 1 through 8. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, 
a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him. Now, now hang on. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had never heard this term born again. He didn't know what that meant. And so he asked Jesus, what does verse 4 say? Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus said, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Born again? How does that work? I don't understand this. You're telling me I have to be born a second time? How is someone my age going to get back into their mother's womb and get I don't understand this, Jesus. I'm sorry. This makes no sense. So does everybody agree that the question is, explain to me what it means to be born again? That's the question. Explain to me. What does it mean to be born again? See, there's a lot of people that tell you that being born again means to accept Christ. They tell you that to be born again means to believe on the Lord. But Nicodemus specifically asked, what does it mean? And Jesus is about to tell him. And whatever Jesus says, that's the answer. Not what I say, and not what some other preacher says, but what Jesus said is the answer to the question. What does it mean to be born again? So, verse 5, Jesus, Jesus answered. Now look, Jesus answered. He's answering the question. He answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man, be born, a of man water, be born of water and of the Spirit, and of the spirit he cannot enter he into the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus said, What do you mean born again? Jesus said two things. You've got to be born of water, and you've got to be born of the Spirit. That's the two blanks, and I think both words should come in at the same time. Now, we should have just single-clicked that. You, you, yeah, there you go. So, so both words, uh, these fill in the blanks here. You must be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, we can debate and talk about what did he mean by being born of the water, what did he mean by being born of the Spirit, no need to debate it. We're going to let the Bible answer that question. Because, again, I don't get a private interpretation. I've got, to, I've got to interpret it the way God says it. And Jesus said this is a requirement. You can't get into heaven unless you're born of water. You can't get into heaven unless you're born of the Spirit. Jesus said that. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. So just remember this. Now, he doesn't explain to us in this verse what being born of water and born of the Spirit is. Like I said, you can, you can see where it's alluded to in the Gospels. We're going to have to go to the book of Acts to get clarity on this. But we'll get clarity. 
It's going to come. In fact, as we continue through this journey, the light just is going to continue to shine, and we're going to see more and more where it becomes clearer and clearer the further we walk into the light. All right? So, so water and spirit are the two blanks here under John 3, 1 through 8. Water and the spirit. All right? Everyone got that? All right. So now we're going to, we, we didn't finish that, so let's, let's go ahead and finish reading. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Mm -hmm. Marvel not. not that I say unto thee, right. ye must be born again. Yes. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone, so is everyone. that is born of the Spirit. Now, I'm just going to throw this in there as well. There's not a blank here to fill in, but I do want you to notice, Jesus again makes a statement. He talks about being born of the Spirit. He said it's like the wind. There's a lot about the wind we don't understand. We don't understand where it comes from. We don't understand where it's going. But you'll always hear the sound when it blows. And Jesus said, so is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Everybody that's born of the Spirit. You may not understand everything about this experience, but one thing will happen to everybody. When they're born of the Spirit, you'll hear a sound when it happens. Now, that's what Jesus said. Again, he doesn't explain to us what that sound is. We're going to see that as we continue on our journey. All right, let's go on now, verses 16 to 21. Still in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he that hath not, he that hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And for every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. All right, now, look at your study here. Jesus also told Nicodemus, and this is a verse, John 3.16. A lot of folks go to John 3.16 and say, here's the plan of salvation. Now, again, remember, the church has not been formed yet. Also remember that in verse 5, Jesus just said you can't go to heaven unless you're born of water and spirit. Now, verse 16 says that whosoever shall believe in him would have everlasting life. And folks want to take that one verse, pull it out of its context and say that's how you get saved. But to say that is to ignore what Jesus said just a few verses earlier. Why would Jesus say in verse 5, you have to be born of water and the Spirit, and then turn around just 11 verses later and say, oh, sorry, didn't mean that. All you got to do is believe. That doesn't make sense. Obviously, when he talks about believing, he's talking about something entirely different than what most people today talk about when they say believe. And we're going to see that in the Scripture. Looking again at your study, Jesus also told Nicodemus that whosoever believes in Him. 
And that's the next blank here is believes. Whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Jesus mentioned two seemingly different requirements for salvation. One being born again through water and spirit. The other just believe. But this is not a contradiction. We're going to see in the next scripture how believing is related to experiencing the birth of the Spirit. All right? So let's, let's look at this. Uh, John chapter 7 now, verses 38 and 39. John 7, verses 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said. Oh, now look at this. Whosoever believes on me, as the Scripture has said. So obviously there's some scriptural reference to believing that we've got to consider. What's going to happen if you believe the way the scriptures say? Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Uh-huh. But this spake he of this the Spirit. This spake he of the Spirit. Which they that believe on him should receive. They that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So once again, we see you can't be born of the Spirit during the life of Jesus. You had to wait until after his death, burial, and resurrection. So this is just alluding to what's going to come in the future. But he says here that if you'll believe the way the scriptures tell you to believe, you'll be born of the Spirit. Something's going to happen. So looking at your study guide here, here we discover that if we believe on him, we will receive his Spirit. We'll receive his Spirit. We find that scriptural belief is more than just a change in the way we think. It results in a scriptural experience. Faith motivates us to obey, and obedience brings God's acceptance and blessing. All right, so don't try to use John 3.16 as a contradictory verse for John 3 and 5. They don't contradict each other. You just got to understand that if you're really going to believe the way the Scriptures tell you believe, there's some things you're going to do about it. It's not just what you think in your mind, but there's action that's going to be required. And as Jesus said, you're going to have to be born of water and spirit. We're going to find out what that means. Let's go on. John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, and then verses 42 and 43. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of the light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. All right, looking again at your study guide, uh, the second to the last paragraph here on this page. Today, just as in Jesus' day, many claim to believe on the Lord. They claim to be believers, but they will not confess Him. They will not confess Him for fear of what others will do or say. All right? So it's, it's more than just saying, I believe in Him. There's something else that's required. All right, reading on now, same chapter. Let's read on, verses 44 through 48. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. But if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. 
For I come not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken. The word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him. The same shall judge him. In the last day. In the last day. So looking at your study guide here, in response to the fearfulness of the people who said they believed on him, but they would not do what he told them to do, in response to their fearfulness, Jesus warns that his word will judge us. So we have to be careful not to reject the word of God. Rather, we should believe and obey it no matter what others say or do. We can't let them cause us to refrain from doing what's right. I hear people all the time, well, what will someone think of me? What will others think of me? What will my family think? We can't worry about that. We've got to be focused on what does the Word of God tell us to do, and we've got to do it because the Word is going to judge us in the end. His Word will judge us. That's the last blank on page 6, His Word will judge us. Going now to page 7, and we're turning over a few more pages in your Bible to John chapter 17, verses 17 through 20. John 17, 17 through 20. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. All right. So in Jesus' prayer for his disciples, the the study guide tells us, just before his crucifixion, he's praying for his disciples. He said that God's word is truth. That's the blank here at the top of this page. His word is truth. Now that's why we call ourselves the truth church. Because we elevate the Word of God here. We're not about denominations. We're not about church organizations. We're not about ministerial affiliations. We're about the Word of God. God's Word is truth. His Word is truth. If the whole world believes something different than His Word, His Word is still true. Now, the other thing I want you to notice is what He says here in... in, uh, Uh, This scripture, he says that I'm also praying for those, this is verse 20, for those that will believe on me through their word. That is, through the word of his apostles. So if we're going to talk about what it means to believe on the Lord, it's not just believing that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. It's believing what the apostles preached about him. And believing what the apostles told us we have to do to be saved. That's the way we believe on him. Through what they tell us to do. This verse 20 is crucial in our understanding of what it means to believe on the Lord. We believe on him through their word. Now, what did the disciples preach? Well, to answer that question, we need to ask what were they told to preach? What did Jesus tell them? How did he instruct them? Did they just make up their own doctrines? Did they just come up with their own ideas? No. Jesus specifically told them what to preach. To find out what the apostles' message was to be, let's read what Jesus told them to proclaim. The setting 
of the following Great Commission Scripture in Luke 24, verses 45 to 49, is just after the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection, and just before His ascension into heaven. Now, before we read this verse, I would ask you, I, I said I was going to mention this and I forgot, but at the bottom of page 6 and here at the top of page 7, do you notice the little bitty number there at the end of John 17, 17 through 20? You see a little parenthetical number at the top of that? Everybody see that? I just want to explain that to you real quick, and, and don't worry about trying to show this on the wall, but if you'll take your study guide and you'll open it to the next to the last page, here's what you're going to see, supplemental scriptures. All right, if you noticed at the bottom of page 6, John 12, 44 through 48, there's a little parenthetical one. You can flip back over here to page 14, and it's got another scripture to verify what's being said. The top of page 7, John 17, 17 through 20, there's a parenthetical 2. On page 14, there's another passage that helps to explain what Jesus said. All right, everybody understands how that works? These are just, these are just supplemental scriptures to back up what's being said. Anytime you see this, and we see that here beside Luke 24, verses 45 through 49, there's a parenthetical 3. You can go back after the study tonight and look at the third on page 17. Now let's all come back to page 7 again. Let's all get together on the same page, page 7, and we are about to start reading Luke 24. Again, remember, this is Jesus instructing his apostles, here's what you need to preach. Luke 24, verses 45 to 49, read. Then opened he their understanding. All right, stop right there. First of all, I don't want anybody to tell me that the apostles got confused. Don't tell me they were wrong. When we start reading what they said, don't say, oh, well, they made a mistake. Because the Bible says that Jesus opened their understanding. If anybody understood what to preach, these men did. Jesus miraculously gave them understanding into the Scripture. All right? Gave them a miraculous degree of understanding into the Scripture. All right, let's read on. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Uh-huh. And that repentance. All right, now, I want you to notice in your study guide, if you're following in your study guide, it's not this way in your Bible, but in the study guide, these words are in bold, and I want you to pay close attention to them because here's where he starts telling the disciples, this is what I want you to preach. All right? First of all, he said, preach repentance. Everyone say repentance. Okay, and? And remission of sins. Everyone say remission of sins. Uh-huh. Should be preached in his name. Everyone say in his name. All right? Among all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. Uh huh. And ye are witnesses of these things. Yes. And behold, I send the promise of my Father Everyone upon say, you. Everyone say, the promise of my Father. All right. I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Okay, so let me just review very quickly. There were three things they were commanded to preach. What are they? Repentance, remission of sins in Jesus' name and the promise of the Father. That's the three things they were told to preach. Now notice, he did not say, preach, confess the Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart. 
He did not say, believe on the Lord Jesus. That's not what he commanded them. He commanded that they preach repentance, remission of sins in his name, and the promise of the Father. So there's a couple of questions here, and and there's spaces for you to write an answer. You don't have to write an answer. It's really more for you to think about rather than actually responding. But that is, did the apostles preach the message Jesus commanded them to proclaim? We've got to find out, did they preach what he said? He told them to preach three things. Is that what they preached? And then the second thing we need to think about is, what does this mean, the promise of the Father? What's he talking about? The promise of the Father. Now, I would throw in another question that's not on your study guide, and it's simply this. You remember back in John 3 and 5, Jesus said the only way you're going to get into heaven is be born of water and born of the Spirit. How does that figure in to what we just read? Because Jesus didn't change his mind. So if he said you've got to be born of water and born of the Spirit, then that must be somehow connected to all of this repentance or mission of sins in his name and the promise of the Father. There's got to be a connection there. Everybody understand that? All right, so let's continue our journey into the Word of God by seeing what was preached and what happened at Jerusalem. Page 8. Page 8. We are now going into the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by having many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. All right, now look at this. Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father. Now, I would, I would inform you if you don't know this or remind you if you did know it, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are both written by the same man. Luke ends with Jesus saying, here's what I want you to preach. Acts begins with this same conversation. So when in the book of Luke, he says something about the promise of the Father, and then in the book of Acts, he comes back and says, here's what Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father, because not many days from now, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. Luke just explained to us what the promise of the Father is. As we enter the book of Acts, looking at your study guide, we discover almost immediately that the promise of the Father is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And those are the two words that appear here, Holy Ghost. All right? So that is the promise of the Father. So we know that they were commanded to preach repentance, remission of sins in Jesus' name, and the promise of the Holy Ghost. All right, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Now, we're going to have to cut this down for time's sake. But let's start reading with verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Oh, a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Uh-huh. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Yes. And they were all, they filled, were all filled with the Holy with Ghost. The Holy Ghost. And began to and speak, began to speak with, other tongues, with other tongues as the Spirit gave as them the utterance. Spirit 
gave them utterance. Now, if we were to take the time to read on down through the chapter, what you're going to find is that there were many people there from some 16 different nations, and, and they, they don't understand what they're seeing. There's a crowd there uh, that, that are hearing these apostles and the others that are with them. As they receive the Holy Ghost, they begin to speak in other tongues. That word just means languages. They start speaking other languages. They don't understand what's going on. And so uh, they begin to ask questions. Uh, skip down to verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth what this? What does this mean? They did not understand what this means. Okay, so, so let's just look at the study guide here. For time's sake, when the apostles were at Jerusalem, they, along with many others, were joyously filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And that's the blank here. They began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And that word utterance means the inspiration or the ability to speak. Nobody taught them. Nobody said, repeat after me. The Spirit was just causing them to say words that they didn't know what they meant, but the Spirit knew. So the Spirit gave them utterance. And then the amazed onlookers from many nations who heard them speaking in tongues asked, what does this mean? Peter explained what all of it meant. If we had time to read through that, we don't. We're going to skip down now to verses 36 through 39. Now, as we read verses 36 through 39, First of all, let's go, ahead, let's go ahead and start. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Uh -huh. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what, what shall we do? What shall we do? So here we find people asking the first time since the church begins. The church had just begun. In chapter 2 of Acts, the first time we find people that are lost asking how to be saved. Now, what did Jesus command the disciples to preach? Three things. Repentance. Remission of sins in Jesus' name. The promise of the Father, which we've learned is the Holy Ghost. So now we find people asking, tell us how to be saved. What shall we do? Let's see how Peter answers. Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, uh -huh. Repent. Repent. There's the first one. Repent. Read. And be baptized. And be baptized. Every one of every you. One of you. In the name of in Jesus the Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission for of sins. For the remission of sins. There's the second thing that was commanded. He said, preach remission of sins in Jesus' name. What did Peter say? Be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. This is why we get baptized in Jesus' name, is to have our sins remitted. And it fulfills what Jesus commanded. Now, what else did Peter say? And ye shall receive, and ye shall receive the gift, of the, the Holy gift Ghost. of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39. For the promise, for the promise is, unto you, is unto you and to your, and children, to your children and to all, and that, to are all that are far off, even, even as many as the, as the Lord, Lord our God, God shall call. call. And so all three things that were commanded in Luke 24 
is exactly what Peter preached. Repentance, remission of sins in Jesus' name through being baptized in Jesus' name and receiving the Holy Ghost, which is the promise of the Father. Now, I would also point out to you this little box that's inset here on page 8. You see the little colored box there? Acts 2.38 is the fulfillment of the two new birth requirements. What did Jesus say you have to do to go to heaven? He said you've got to be born of water and you've got to be born of the Spirit. What did Peter say? He said you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name and you've got to receive the Holy Ghost. So Peter explained to us what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3 and 5. What does it mean to be born of water? It means to be baptized in Jesus' name. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? It means to receive the Holy Ghost, which we saw when that happens, you're going to speak in tongues. Remember, Jesus said there's always going to be a sound. This is the sound that came when they received the Holy Ghost. They spoke in other tongues. This is the fulfillment of John 3 and 5. All right, let's look at, I've got to hurry, I've got to hurry here. We've got a baptism that's going to take place here in just a few minutes, and I'm excited about that. So I don't want to take up too much time here. Amen. But uh, uh, let's, let's, look at, let's look at some other examples of people being born again of water and the Spirit as Jesus gave His apostles, uh, as the word Jesus gave His apostles continued to be preached throughout the book of Acts. Let's go on to page number 9. Uh, this is Philip preaching to the Samaritans. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Yes. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed, and there was great joy in that city. All right, so first of all, before going any farther, there are people who say, well, I know, I remember the day that I, I accepted Christ as my Savior and I felt great joy. But I'm here to tell you, experiencing great joy doesn't mean you're saved. The question is asked here, did this people have great joy? And the answer is, yes. So you can just put a check there or an X there. Yes, they had great joy. But they did not have the Holy Ghost. We're going to see that in just a moment. All right, let's, let's read verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. All right, so the next question is, did they believe in Jesus Christ? The answer is yes, they believed. So you can check that box. Yes, they believed. These were believers. They had great joy, but they did not have the Holy Ghost. We're going to see that. Let's read verses 14 through 17. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria was received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive that the Holy Ghost. That they might receive the Holy Ghost. That they might receive the Holy Ghost. Read. Who, uh, for as yet he was fallen upon because none of the them. Because the Holy Ghost had not fallen on any of them. Only they were baptized. they were baptized. In the name of the Lord the Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the next question is, were they baptized in his name? Not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but in His name. The answer is yes. Okay, let's keep reading. What happens next? Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the now Holy Ghost. Now they received the Holy Ghost. All right, so, so the question here, did they receive the Holy Ghost as a separate, distinct experience from having great joy, a separate, distinct experience from believing, a separate, distinct experience even from being baptized? 
Was receiving the Holy Ghost an experience of its own? The answer to that question is yes. So just because you had joy at some point doesn't mean you've got the Holy Ghost. Just because you repented does not mean you've got the Holy Ghost. Just because you believed on the Lord does not mean you've got the Holy Ghost. Even if you've been baptized, that doesn't mean you have the Holy Ghost. They receive this as a separate experience altogether. Two things. You've got to be born of water and you've got to be born of the Spirit. All right, let's move on to Acts chapter 10. I'm trying to hurry. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man. He was a devout man. One that feared God with feared all his house. Feared God with all his house. Which gave much alms gave to the people. Gave much alms to the people. And prayed to and God prayed always. And prayed to God always. All right, so some people say that being religious is enough. I've got my church. I've, I belong to this denomination, whatever. Uh, they say that's enough. I'm saved because of that. Some people say that speaking in tongues only happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, if the Bible says these things are true, then they're true. But if the Bible shows through Cornelius' experience that what they're telling us is not true, we've got to believe the Bible. So the first question that's asked, was Cornelius a religious man? The answer is yes. He was religious. Did we read verses 1 and 2? All right. So he was religious. Let's skip down to verses 5 and 6. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon whose surname is Peter. Now this is an angel had appeared to Cornelius, and this is what the angel says. Send to, to Joppa for someone whose name is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, uh -huh. whose house is by the seaside. Yes. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. He's going to tell you what you need to do. So the next question is, did God have more for him than just being religious? Yes, sir. Yes, he did. So you can check yes to that box. All right? All right, now let's, let's skip on down to verses 44 through 46. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. All right, so, so now look. Did they receive the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues after the day of Pentecost? Yes. This is many years after the day of Pentecost. And yet the Bible says that's how the Jews knew that these Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost because they heard them speak with tongues. They knew it had happened because that's the sound that comes when anybody is born of the Spirit. All right, so did they receive the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues after the day of Pentecost? The answer to that is yes. All right, and then verses, uh, let, let's finish verse 46 and go on verses 47 and 48. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded and he, them. Wait, and he what? Commanded and them. And he commanded them to be baptized, to be baptized in, the name, of in the, Lord. the name of the Lord. Now look, they had already spoken in tongues. They had already received the Holy Ghost. But the question is asked, did they still have to be baptized in Jesus' name? And the answer is yes, they were commanded to be baptized in Jesus' name. Even though they'd spoken in tongues, they were commanded. They had to do it because Jesus said you've got to be born of water and the Spirit. You can't get by with just one. All right, let's move on. Page 10. And we're nearly done. Page 10. So now we get to the book of Acts chapter 19. If you'll turn in your Bibles, just a few more pages. We're in Acts chapter 19. 
Acts 19. There are many people who are believers who have never even heard about this experience that's called the Holy Ghost. Um, there are some that say it's not necessary to be baptized. Or they'll tell you, well, I was baptized once. If you were baptized once, you don't have to get re-baptized. Now, let me ask you a question. If you had been baptized by John the Baptist, would you feel pretty good about your baptism? I think I would. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest prophet ever born of women. If he baptized me, I think I'd feel pretty good about it. But we're going to see some people that were baptized by John the Baptist and find out that wasn't good enough. Something else was missing. Some say, well, it doesn't matter what's said when you're baptized. As long as you get baptized, we're going to find out what the Scripture says, all right? So let's start Acts 19, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth. While Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, yes. came to Ephesus. And finding certain finding disciples. certain disciples. He said unto them, uh -huh. have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Since you did what? Believed. Believed. All right, read. And he said unto, them, unto him, we have not so much as they heard. They said, we've not so much as heard. Whether there be whether any Holy there Ghost. there is a Holy Ghost. So. The question is asked now on your study guide. They were believers, but had they heard of or received the Holy Ghost? Now, I know every other answer has been yes, but they threw in a surprise one for you here. Hallelujah. Uh, that should have been a, a no, and I, I got the wrong box checked there. I apologize. That Oh, it is a no. All right, so I got the right box. I can't see it from here. That's the right box. That's no. They were believers, but had they heard of or received the Holy Ghost? No, they had not. So even though you believe doesn't mean you have the Holy Ghost. All right, so let's go on, verses 3 through 5. And he said unto them, unto, then, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. So these people were baptized by John the Baptist. Read. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Yes. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the so Lord Jesus. So when they heard this, they got baptized again. What's the difference between the first baptism and the second baptism? This time they were baptized in the name. The name of Jesus was applied to their baptism. The first time, they didn't call the name. The second time, the name was called. That's why I'm here to tell you, you may have been baptized saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but if the name was not called, you need to be rebaptized. In fact, Peter was bold enough to command them to be baptized. I'm here to tell you, you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. Regardless of whether you've been baptized in the past. All right, did we finish verse 5? All right, so now let's read verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. And so now, as a separate experience, the Holy Ghost came on them. And they spake with tongues. And they did what? Spake with tongues. They spake with tongues. And prophesied. And they prophesied. And so the last question here, was receiving the Holy Ghost accompanied by the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues? And the answer to that question is, yes, it was. All right? So you should have one no and two yeses on this page. 
Um, yes, they had to be baptized in Jesus' name, and yes, they received the Holy Ghost, and it was accompanied by speaking in other tongues. So here's what we find, this, this colored box here. We found that the apostles preached the following salvation message. They preached the life of Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. They preached repentance toward God and belief in Jesus. They preached baptism in water by immersion in Jesus' name, and they preached receiving the Holy Ghost, and that was accompanied by the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. That was the apostles' message. And that ought to be our message. And so very quickly here, let's read what the apostles had to say about the message of salvation they proclaimed in the book of Acts. We do this by reading the epistles or letters that they wrote to their converts. So page 11, as we read the epistles, we'll notice how strongly the apostles felt about the gospel or good news of salvation. This is not because they were being judgmental. It's because they knew the word Jesus had given them to proclaim was going to judge all men. We're going to forego reading the entire scripture here. They're printed out in part for you uh, here on your um, study. And so you can take this home and follow up. I've just got to hurry here because we got to get this baptism done tonight too. So what did Peter say? Peter said, you purified your souls in obeying the truth, being born again by the word of God. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Here's what we find out. Peter said, obedience to God's word is what purifies your soul. It's not because you believe in your mind or even believe in your heart. It's because you do what the Word of God tells you to do. And the Word of God tells you to repent, to be baptized in Jesus' name, and to receive the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking in tongues. It's obedience to God's Word that purifies our soul. Now, Peter asked a question in 1 Peter 4, verses 17 and 18. He said, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Paul, writing to a different group of people at a different time, not even knowing what question Peter asked, under the unction and inspiration of the Holy Ghost, answered that question. Peter said, what's going to happen if you don't obey the gospel? Paul answered in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 9, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Here is Peter asking the question, what's going to happen if you don't obey this message? Paul said, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Jesus is going to bring judgment on everybody who does not obey the message that we the apostles have preached. And what, what message did they preach? Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, receiving the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking in tongues. Paul said, if you don't do that, then the Lord's going to judge you. All right, and then another scripture here. What did Paul say? Galatians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. But there be some that trouble you would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached already in the past unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. I'm here to tell you, my friend, there is only one gospel, and it's the gospel that was preached by the apostles. Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking in tongues. Any other message is cursed by God. All right, page 12. What did James have to say? James said in James 1, verses 21 to 24, Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. 
But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. First of all, we see that the word is able to save our souls. But secondly, we see at the bottom of this page that James tells us if we see something that we need to do in the word of God, then we need to do it. Don't be like somebody that looks in a mirror and says, you know, my hair's messed up. Oh, well, forget about it and walks on. Why did you look in the mirror in the first place? It's there because you need to correct something. So when you look in the Word of God and say, hey, I haven't repented, then you need to repent. Hey, I've never been baptized in Jesus' name. Then you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I've never received the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Then you need to receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Do what the Word of God shows you you need to do. Page 13, and this is the end. Page 13, do you believe? These are questions only you can answer. Do you believe that the Word of God is true and it's going to judge us in the last day? Do you believe that? And you can just write your answer there. I don't have answers that are going to appear here. That's between you and God. Do you believe the Word of God is true and that the Word of God is going to judge us? Do you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? Do you believe it is necessary to repent by determining to turn from your sin and giving your life to God? Do you believe water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is the biblical way to be baptized? Do you believe the baptism of the Holy Ghost is for you today? And when you receive it, you'll speak in other tongues just as they did in the Bible. If you believe these things, let's pray right now. And let's ask God to allow you to experience everything that he has for you. Let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for what we've seen tonight. I thank you for every heart that has paid attention, that has followed through in this study. God, I pray that everybody would be willing to accept what your word has to say and that they would obey the gospel as was preached by your apostles. Lord, we want to see people saved. I pray you would grant grace that they would be obedient to the word of the Lord. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You can, yeah, that's the supplemental scripture page. There's the notes page, and then finally the closing here. So you've been through the Bible study. Let's everybody stand together. Amen. If one of you men would go and get Brother Carter, uh, we're so excited to baptize him in Jesus' name. He told me Sunday night after service, he's been talking to an apostolic friend of his, showed him in the Scripture he needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. And he came looking to obey the word of the Lord. So we're going to do that tonight. Before we leave here, if one of you men would help him, uh, I don't know if he's going to change clothes or wear what he's got on, but we've got a robe down there somewhere. We'll get that ready. Musicians, come. We're going we're gonna to get ready to baptize him in the name of Jesus Christ before we leave here tonight. Amen. Praise God. So glad to have him and Rose with us. Appreciate them coming, and we are thankful, thankful, thankful. Amen. Praise God. He is obeying the Word of the Lord. That's what each of us have got to do. And if you're here tonight and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to do it. You say, well, I don't know if it was Jesus' name or not. Well, then you know what? I'd rather get baptized in Jesus' name twice and not take any chances.
than to take a chance that they might have possibly said something different. Because I want to tell you, the overwhelming majority of churches do not say in the name of Jesus. They say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, which is not found in the book of Acts anywhere. Remember that during Jesus' lifetime, he alluded to salvation, but it's not clarified till you get to Acts. And so even Matthew 28, 19 was during his time here on earth. He was alluding to what needed to happen in the book of Acts. And those apostles who had perfect understanding, when they got up and started telling people how to be baptized, none of them said, 